Good morning, everyone. That was a little weak. Let's try that again. Good morning, everyone. So much better. So for the last five years, uh, my husband and I have been vacationing um, each summer in Lake Tahoe. And if you've never been to Lake Tahoe, I just think it's the most beautiful place in the world. You might disagree, and that's okay. But you have the mountains, you have tall pine trees that you can stare at for days, and then there's the lake. Yes, the lake. Uh, Lake Tahoe's known for having like super crystal clear water, which is super awesome. It's 22 miles long, 12 miles wide, and to this day, nobody really knows how deep the water actually is. Um, If my husband was here, he would also remind you of how cold the temperature is of the water and probably say you can get hypothermia, but that's, who cares? And I just love it so much. And so every time we go to Tahoe, there is a, it's not a secret spot, but in my mind, it just feels like, just feels like home. And it's called Sand Harbor. At Sand Harbor, there's kayaking, uh, paddle boarding, and my favorite thing, swimming. And we've been coming here for years, and every year when we leave, I'm always like, rats, I should have brought goggles, because I just knew that there was something really awesome to see below uh, the water. And so here we are again, coming this year, and we stop at Sand Harbor. It's our first stop. And as we are there, le- really leaving, I'm like, we didn't even bring the goggles. And so I told my husband, luckily for us, it was our first day on vacation, and so we were gonna be there for a whole week, and so on our last full day, I'm like, we must go back to Sand Harbor with goggles. So we stopped and bought goggles. And I think there's a picture. I just want you to know, right now, this picture is very embarrassing, and you all are now invited into my inner circle. So, you can take it down. You can take it down. Yes, now that you you have this visual in your mind now, it'll stick with you forever. I'm glad we can be best friends. And so anyway, so with my new goggles, I tell my husband, I'm like, adios, see ya, I'm gonna go swim again. The water's too cold for him, so he doesn't like it, so he goes on his way and goes kayaking. And so I just run to the water, jump all in, and I'm like, oh. I'm like, look at all this stuff. I'm like, look at this stuff, isn't it neat? Just kidding, I wasn't doing that. But there were rock structures underneath that I had never seen before, just lake wildlife and it was just so beautiful and it was like I knew I was missing out this whole time and so as I uh, you know was swimming around like a fish because I'm not joking I swam around for a really long time some people from the shore were like excuse me is there a rock nearby that I might be able to come and climb on And so the water is so clear that your depth perception is like completely off. So like what you think might be really three feet down is like 30. And that's an exaggeration, but that's really kind of what it's like. And so I'm like, oh, yes, hold on one second. And so I take my goggles and I'm like, looking for the rock that they could come and stand on. And so I'm like, yes, it's over here. And so they would come into the water and come and stand on the rock. 
And after a while, I'm like, you know, these people are really missing out on something. Like, they really need some goggles. And so I'm like, would you like to borrow my goggles? And I realized I looked like that picture. Don't put it back up. But I'm asking people if they wanted to borrow my goggles, and it just looks weird. And they're like, no, thank you. And I was just rejected numerous times, and it hurt me a little bit, I must say. And so I go to take a, a break because I don't want to get hypothermia. Don't tell my husband that I agreed with what he said about how cold the water is. Just let's keep that in here. Uh, and so I go and I sit on a rock, and one of the very rocks that I had led somebody to earlier that day. And as I'm sitting on the rock, feeling a little bit rejected, um, just very much taking in what's going on around me, just hearing the water, um, people laughing and swimming and all of that stuff. And as I'm sitting on the rock, I hear the Lord say, he's like, Sulinda, how you feel about people rejecting using your goggles is how I feel. And I instantly felt like this punch in the gut because I wasn't asking, and I realized, like I wasn't asking these people to come into the water. They were wearing business suits and asking them to join me on a rock. They were already on their ba wearing their bathing suits. They were already in the water. At some point in time, they were already swimming around. And it got me thinking to how many times do I reject God when he's put me in a place, I'm already there, I'm already prepared, and I say no. And so I want to share this um, passage with you, but in 2 Kings chapter 6, um, we see the story of Elisha, and he is a prophet, and he's very much a wanted man. Uh, by King Aram because he's been letting the king of Israel know the battle plan. And Aram finds out about this and he's like, no, we can't have somebody giving the inside scoop to what's going on. And so he wanted Elisha captured so that that wouldn't happen. And so he went out and he sent an army after him. And so when Elisha's servant woke up the next morning, he went outside and he found this army surrounding him or surrounding the areas. And in 2 Kings it says, So the one night, the king of Aram sent out a great army with many chariots and horses to surround the city. When the servants of the man of God got up early the next morning and went outside, where there were troops, horses, chariots, everywhere. Oh, sir, what will we do now? The young man cried to Elisha. Do not be afraid, Elisha told him, for there are more on our side than on theirs. Then Elisha prayed, O Lord, open his eyes and let him see. The Lord opened the young man's eyes, and when he looked up, he saw on the hillside around Elisha was filled with horses and chariots of fire. I know what you're thinking. You're like, your story and this passage has nothing to do with what's going on, but it does. But it gives us a really good picture of what our human eyes can only see. Our human eyes uh, can really only see opposition and obstacles. But if we're really honest, our human eyes can only see what our human eyes can only see. And so sometimes even with that, we can feel stuck. And maybe we might even feel a little overwhelmed like Elisha's servant. And so what he sees is very limited and what we see also is very limited. But it's also this beautiful image of how God has more for us, um, more than we can imagine. And when we start looking with his eyes, maybe even his goggles, uh, we're even able to see so much more and even become unstoppable. 
the truth is that just like Elisha's servant, all of us are standing somewhere and all of us are seeing something. And so this morning I want you to think about where are you standing and what are you seeing? As I look back on this trip, I really feel like I got a good picture of how um, different moments in our life we can really identify with my lake experience um, in Tahoe this past summer. And here around Gateway, we say, no perfect people allowed. You can come as you are, come with your questions and come with your doubts. And so for you, your lake experience might be standing on the outside of the lake. You're just really taking everything in. You're enjoying the sunshine. You might even get your toes a little bit wet, but also the water might be a little bit too cold for you. And it may even feel a little bit uncomfortable and even it might be a little bit too deep for you. And that's okay. And if that's you and you find that that's where you are standing at the lake, um, keep coming, keep asking your questions. At one point, um, too, some of us took a plunge and we stood on a rock and for some reason or another, uh, things might have become a little bit challenging for you, maybe a little uncomfortable even. And so similar to the people asking me where the rocks were. Some of us want to live our experiences through other people, and we're not willing to take the continuous plunges to see what God has for us. And even for some of us, if we're really honest this morning with each other, we're just comfortable with the way that our relationship with God looks like right now. Sometimes it even feels a little bit safer, more convenient move for someone other than God to direct us. And we find ourselves always stuck and even limited. And if this is you this morning, I would encourage you to continue to push forward because it's only when you push forward can you really bring freedom and can you really fill the life of fulfillment that God truly has for you. For other of us, um, we're really pursuing God boldly and we're like, yeah, go God. Um, but my question for you this morning is, are you inviting others to come alongside you? Are you sharing your goggles with people around you? Or are you hoarding your God experiences to yourself? We don't come to experience the fullness of Christ on our own. We need this body. We need this community. We need like-minded people uh, to help us, to pray for us, to fight for us, and to encourage us. And truly my prayer for this community is that we would continue to seek um, a deeper relationship with God wherever you are, whether it's a small step now or a big step later, but that we would always be in pursuit of the one who truly pursues us. In Ephesians uh, 3, 18 through 20, it says, and you may have the power to understand as all God's people should how wide, how long, how high, and how deep is his love. May you experience the love of Christ, though it is too great to understand fully. Then you will be made complete with all fullness of life and power that comes from God. Now all glory to God, who is able, through his mighty power at work within us, to accomplish infinitely more than we might ask or think. One of the things um, I didn't mention about this trip uh, to Tahoe this summer, it came at a really weird time for us. And so 
For me personally, I'd just gotten back from Israel, and so there was a lot of things that I was processing. I'd gone to Israel to meet with the ministry partner there who does reconciliation, and there was a lot going on in my mind, and really I was trying to process a whole lot and had a whole bunch of feelings um, really just like inside my body. And um, if I'm honest with you, when I went to Israel, I had my own vision. I had my own idea of what I thought my experience was going to be like there. And very quickly um, did the Lord give me a new set of goggles. And he truly revealed his heart to me and how he mourns for us, how he mourns for each and every one of us. How he mourns when we try to do things in our own power instead of coming to him because he's a good father how he mourns for us when we settle for good things, when he has great things for us, if we're just willing to dive deeper. His desire for us is to be whole, to go deeper with him, to experience him like never before, to see him more fully and to hear him more clearly. I believe that God wants us to know that if we don't have his eyes, that we will not see it and we will miss it. And so as I leave you this morning, I want to ask you, what's preventing you from going deeper? What's keeping you from having eyes to see what God truly desires for you? That's a good question that Celinda just asked us. And whenever I think about that question, the word that immediately pops up into my head is perspective. So I, about 20 years ago, started my journey of recovery. Um, And on that journey, starting to work those first few steps, pretty quickly, I became aware that my perspective was limited. And I would even say my perspective was faulty. So I wear glasses, as you can see, I've pretty much the majority of my life worn glasses. And sometimes I'll look at my husband and I guess the light catches it just right. And he's like, oh my gosh, how can you be wearing those things? They're filthy. And I'm like, I didn't even know. I I had no idea. And so take them off, sure enough, they're a mess. But that's the lens I'd been looking at the world through and had no idea. And I feel like when I started recovery, that was kind of what was starting to be revealed to me, is that I'd been looking through this faulty perspective, this faulty lens. I've been seeing myself through that lens. I'd been seeing God through that lens. And I had been engaging and seeing everyone else around me through that lens. Now that can seem a little bit discouraging, but it can, realizing that can also be a place of empowerment. I love how God uses our life experiences to teach us, to reveal things to us. And probably one of the places that he has used most often in my life to teach me new things is through parenting. So having three kids, I have learned a lot, more than I ever expected about myself through them. And one of the things that uh, my son, Kyler, He's uh, home this weekend from college. And one of the things that uh, I was thinking about, we took him shopping yesterday, and as we were shopping, it reminded me of this circumstance that kind of correlates with what we're talking about. So Kyler, 
we affectionately say, was a strong-willed child. Any of you have strong-willed children? Maybe you're a strong-willed child yourself. Well, I have no idea where Kyler got that from, but he's definitely strong-willed. And when he was little, he hated having to rely on me for anything. It was like he came out of the womb just wanting to be in charge, wanting to kind of run the show. We called him like the little boss. He just wanted to be the boss. And one of the places where this manifested the most was the grocery store. Going to the store with this kid was like, I had a panic attack before I would go. But what was really funny or interesting or difficult, depending on how you're looking at it, was every time we would get to the parking lot, Kyler had totally a faulty perspective of himself. He just was invincible in his mind and he wanted to just take off running and go where he wanted to go. And so he absolutely hated when I would make him hold my hand. But of course I'm his mom and I know the dangers in this parking lot. I know if he takes off running, he's not thinking about other people. He's not thinking about the cars that might run him over, the cars might hit him. And so I have to, of course, because I have a greater perspective through experience, I've got to make him do something that he doesn't really want to do and he doesn't understand. His perspective was limited. He was just a little guy. There was so much he didn't know and so much that he didn't understand, but I did. So one day, divine intervention came. Me and Kyler getting out of the car, I'm holding his hand, he's flailing about like it's the worst thing in the world, having to like squeeze it so he wouldn't run away. And as we're walking, right there in front of me is a frog, but not just any frog. It's a frog that had been squished by a truck and it was like dry and it was flat and I look at this frog and I'm like yes this is my opportunity to give this three-year-old little boy some perspective so you know where this is going I'm like Kyler look at look at this frog and he was like oh what is that and he's so interested to three a little three-year-old little boy would be and he looks down at the frog and his eyes just got really big and I'm like you know what happened to that frog right And his little eyes look at me. And of course, it was this moment where he saw this flat smush frog. And I'm like, it got ran over by a car. And it was like the perfect opportunity. Now, did he stop trying to get away from me when we were at the grocery store? No, he still wanted to. But there are moments like that that are just such perfect learning opportunities. But God actually used this opportunity to show me something. Because as I reflected on the circumstances, reflected on Kyler, pulling away from me, trying to go his own way, thinking that he knew what was best, I started to actually realize that's me. I'm limited in my perspective. I don't fully understand everything. I can't understand everything. I'm not everywhere at one time. I don't know all things, and so I'm limited. But not only that, the brokenness of my past, the things that I've been through, They've affected me. And that causes my perspective to sometimes be faulty. And so what I realized is that in this situation, I could totally relate with Kyler in my relationship with God. I want to pull away from him. I want to go my own way because I think it's best. And I'm not thinking about perspective. I'm not thinking about what's best. But God's perspective is different. God's perspective is greater He knows all things, he sees all things, he's everywhere. And because he's all powerful, he's wise in ways that I'm not. I'm finite. 
He's infinite. And when I started to realize that, it was empowering. See, one of the things that I came to was this realization that pride was like being like this little tight-fisted kid who didn't want to open up my fist because I wanted it my way. But when I start to see myself accurately, when I start to have a true perspective of myself, especially in light of who God is, it is encouraging to start to open up my hands and ask for help. To open up my hands to God, to realize because I am limited and you are not, because I am powerless and you are powerful, I can open up my hands to you, God. And that's what God started to do through realizing my faulty perspective. It gave me the opportunity to humble myself. And I realized humility is the key to a perspective change, to a new perspective. And actually, we're just like the early church. Even though that was years ago, when you read the scriptures, you see a lot of the same themes show up. And Peter, one of Jesus's key followers, who was really important in establishing the early church, he wrote a letter that was rotated around to a bunch of different churches talking about this very thing, talking about humility. So I want to share that with you right now. It's in 1 Peter chapter 5, verses 5 through 10. He had just got through telling, talking to the mature leaders in the church and then talking to some of the younger leaders in the church. And now he's about to address everybody. And he says, and all of you dress yourselves in humility as you relate to one another. For God opposes the proud, but gives grace to the humble. When we're proud, our fists are tight. We can't open them up and receive. But when we're humble, we open ourselves up to receive what God has for us. And he gives us grace. So humble yourselves under the mighty power of God. And at the right time, he will lift you up in honor. Give all of your worries and cares to God, for he cares for you. Stay alert. Watch out for your great enemy, the devil. He prowls around like a roaring lion, just looking for someone to devour. But stand firm against him and be strong in your faith. Remember that your family of believers all over the world is going through the same kind of sufferings that you are. You're not alone. In his kindness, God called you to share in his eternal glory by means of Christ Jesus. So after you have suffered a little while, he will restore you, support you, and strengthen you, and he will place you on a firm foundation. When we humble ourselves, we start to see our limitations, but it also creates an opportunity for us to see God's powerfulness. God's awesomeness. And when we start to see that, it inspires us to open up our hands, to open up our lives, to actually let God lead us. Let him empower us. Let him restore us to the fullness of what we were created for. The fullness of our identity that God has had for us this whole time. And so when, one of the things that really helped me to kind of get a glimpse of shifting perspectives was the contrast that I saw in a story in the Old Testament about David and Goliath. 
See, there was a war that was going on between the Israelites and the Philistines. And probably you're familiar with this story, but basically to keep from this big bloody bath happening, they would just put their greatest warrior against the other army's greatest warrior. And of course, we know that the Philistines' greatest warrior was this giant called Goliath. But nobody really wanted to go up against him. I think Goliath was really a representation of intimidation and fear. He was big. And so what people saw was this massive circumstance that they didn't feel like they could come up against. They were afraid. But David, who had been just a young boy in the fields taking care of sheep, we know loved to worship God. He loved to worship him. And so when he comes on the scene to bring something for his brothers, we see him have a totally different perspective than everyone else. He was willing by faith, to go up against this giant, even though he was smaller and seemingly less capable than anybody else there. What we see is David had a godly perspective. David wasn't looking at Goliath through the same lens that the other Israelites were looking at him through. They were looking at him through the lens of fear. They were looking at him through the lens of their own power. What could I do? I can't defeat him. But David wasn't going up against Goliath or looking at Goliath through that lens. He was looking at it through the lens of who his God was. He didn't see his circumstances and see them as being too big and see his God as being too small. He looked at his circumstances and he saw them through the lens of his great and mighty and powerful and awesome God. And when he saw that, Goliath in comparison was nothing. He had an accurate perspective of his circumstances. And so he could have courage. He could have strength, not because he was so powerful or he was so great or he was so skilled, but because he knew who his God was. And he faced his circumstances with that perspective, with that lens, and it changed everything. This changes everything for me. Because when I wake up in the morning, I don't wake up confident, I don't wake up courageous. I wake up thinking about the thing I was worried about the night before. I wake up thinking about the things that are going on in my life, the circumstances that I'm up against. When I became a Christ follower, I started to realize I was entering into this awesome relationship, but also everything was changing. I became a part of God's kingdom. And when I became a part of God's kingdom and I started to live according to God's ways and started to learn what that looks like, I actually started to realize this is hard. Living God's way here. It's like being a foreigner, not speaking the language, not knowing everything seems to be in opposition to the way that I'm trying to live and I feel like I'm fighting this battle every day and that's hard. So circumstances can totally build up around me and make me feel very overwhelmed. And I'm sure that that's true for some of you as well. But when I start my day with this practice that I've incorporated, the practice of praise, it reminds me of who God is. It helps me to remember, because I forget. It helps me to remember who it is I'm about to talk to, who it is I'm walking through this day with, and who it is that is empowering me to live this life, to fight these battles. And so that's how I fight my battle, through praise. I started reading the scriptures and asking the question as I would read them, what does this tell me about the nature of God? What does this tell me about the character of God? 
And I've started making this list of attributes. And so what I do every morning in this practice is I just review over these lists and I start praising God. God, you're faithful. You are good all the time. You are loving, you are gracious, you are generous. And as I do, and as I remember that, I'm putting on my battle gear to go out into the day, my armor to face what is going to come my way. So here's the reality. When I get a godly perspective, it does not change my circumstances. My circumstances stay the same. But having a godly perspective causes me to face them, to look at them, to address them in a totally different way. Thank you. Hey, can we, um, can we thank Sulinda and Jamie for sharing with us this morning? Just want to wrap up our time together uh, with just a couple of more thoughts. I mean, they challenged us to not live vicariously through others, but to take that next step that God has for us and to see things from his perspective. Rather than a, a limited perspective, to have a godly perspective. And, and really what Jamie was pointing towards at the end is that importance of spending time with God. See, some of us struggle to trust God. Some of us don't fully understand God or maybe have a, a, a view of God that is not consistent with who he actually is. And so to get to that place, spending time with God in scriptures, in prayer, in praise, in community, serving others with others, in, in a group where other people are, are walking with Jesus is incredibly important to help us move forward. And at the same time, what happens along the way is sometimes we just allow Sundays to be the only time we connect with God. And just every once in a while on a Sunday is not enough. And so I want to look at a, a passage that comes from the most depressing book in the entire Bible. It's the book of Lamentations, written by a prophet that no one listened to. In fact, his nickname was the Weeping Prophet. Sounds like a page turner, doesn't it? But do you know what a lament is? A lament is a passionate expression of grief or sorrow. And yet in this string of lamentations, where literally Jeremiah blames God for all the terrible things that are happening to him, somehow in the middle of that, he acknowledges this about God's character. Listen to what he says. Because of the Lord's great love, we are not consumed. For his compassions never fail. They are new every morning. Great is your faithfulness. In the midst of all the terrible things that are happening to him, he still has this awareness that God has love for us. And it's not just normal love, it's a great love that God has for us. That he is so compassionate for us that we are not overwhelmed by what's happening when we trust in him, when we rely on him. And every day is a new day, a new day to discover his great love and his compassion. And he says to God, God, great is your faithfulness. Jeremiah is pointing out that God is trustworthy. He is loyal. He is constant, that he keeps his promises. Now, several hundred years before this, the people of Israel had 
experience the fulfillment of God's promises of moving into the promised land. And they've been led by Joshua, but he was about to die. And he wanted to renew their covenant. They'd been through some amazing moments where God miraculously came through for them. But they'd also been through some incredibly difficult seasons where they try to take things into their own hands. And so Joshua wants to right-size their perspective by renewing this covenant. And so he says this to them and recorded in Joshua 24. Now fear the Lord and serve him with all faithfulness. Throw away the gods your ancestors worshiped beyond the Euphrates River and in Egypt and serve the Lord. But if serving the Lord seems undesirable to you, then choose for yourselves this day whom you will serve, whether the gods your ancestors served beyond the Euphrates or the gods of the Amorites in whose land you are now living. But as for me and my household, we will serve the Lord." He was giving them a choice. You can choose. Are you going to just be like everyone else? Or are you going to serve the creator of the universe, the one who created you on purpose and with a purpose? Or are you going to create these little gods your ancestors created? Are you, are you going to keep on going with family superstitions and the ways of this world? Or are you going to be like what I've chosen? And that is, he says, to serve the Lord. Now, he began his challenge with this interesting phrase. He says, now, fear the Lord and serve him with all faithfulness. Now, that idea of fearing God, it's not something we like to talk about. Uh, we love the idea of a loving God, but a God that brings fear seems too much. Now, anytime you come across a word that doesn't seem to uh, make complete sense, it's good to get kind of behind it to understand a little bit more what's going on. And certainly the word fear in English doesn't really represent the fullness of this word in the Hebrew, which is a reverential fear, an awe, a profound and a respect and a type of honor. Or as my friend Francois pointed out this week in Life Group, where we were looking at this verse, he said, but you know what? If you are in the presence of God, the proper response is to be afraid. I mean, he's the creator of the universe. And oftentimes, even when just a representative of God shows up, the people in the story are in fear. I am unworthy of being in this place. But this is not the kind of fear that keeps you away from God. It's the kind of fear that keeps you coming back to God because you don't want to move forward in your life without him leading you. And we're going to talk about that more over the next three weeks in this series called De Decision Fatigue. But for now, whenever you want into a word or phrase that does not make sense to you, don't give up on it. But instead, ask God for wisdom and look at the scriptures to interpret the scriptures. Even in this text, to understand fearing God, there are a couple of clues First, he goes into how they should fear God and get rid of these other idols. See, people who fear God get rid of these other idols, these other gods in their lives. They instead are allowing the creator of the universe to become their heavenly father and they let go of anything else that they go to for their deepest needs. Now, in our culture, we may not have little tiny idols that we pray to, but we do have idols, the idols of consumerism, security, power, sex, money, or pleasure. There are even things that God gave us, good gifts that he's given us that we begin to worship, that we turn into our gods, like career or family. According to Tim Keller in his book, Counterfeit Gods, he writes, what is an idol? It is anything more important to you than God. 
anything that absorbs your heart and imagination more than God, anything you seek to give you what only God can give. An idol is whatever you look at and say in your heart of hearts, if I have that, then I'll feel my life has meaning. Then I'll know I have value. Then I'll feel significant and secure. There are many ways to describe that kind of relationship to something, but perhaps the best one is worship. See, when you fear God, all else fades. You can get rid of all those other things that you go to, those people that you go to, to meet those deepest needs that they cannot possibly meet, but instead you go to the one who can. But the passage also shows us there's more to understanding fearing God. Fearing God and serve him with all faithfulness to serve him faithfully. That's what it means to fear God, that, that you do the right thing no matter how small it is, even when no one is looking because you're compelled by this relationship with God. When I was in college, I felt God, God calling me to become a pastor. And my first job at a church, they actually let me clean the bathrooms on Saturday night. I felt I was above that, but I did it for a while. That's all I could get. And then eventually I got a job at a, at a church where they paid me $70 a week to be the youth pastor. Again, I felt I was far too good for that, but again, that's all I could get. But at least I had a title. I had an office. I was 19 years old, and I had arrived. I was young and arrogant. Now, the music minister was traveling out of town, and so he asked me if I would lead the worship that one particular Sunday, and I said, sure, and he said, hey, and you need to find someone to sing the solo, and I said, sure, and, and honestly, I forgot all about it. I hadn't prepared at all for that Sunday as it got closer. And then suddenly the piano uh, player reached out to me asking who's singing the solo. And I said, you know what? I'll do it. And she said, do you want to practice? I said, nope, no need. I'm going to sing the song, Great is Thy Faithfulness. It's a great song. And so I was just kind of wing it. I was just kind of showing up. It wouldn't put in a lot of effort into it. And on the day, things were going fine. And then it came to the solo, and she began to play, and then I began to sing. Great is thy faithfulness, O God, my Father. There is no shadow of turning with thee. Thou changest not thy compassions, they fail not. As thou hast been, thou forever will be. Great is thy faithfulness, great is thy faithfulness, Morning by morning, new mercies I see. All I have needed, thy hand hath provided. Great is thy faithfulness, Lord, unto thee. Yes. Yes, you're welcome. You're welcome. It was a horrible experience. <laughs> she was playing in a key way higher than I had ever practiced. And she would not stop playing. I grew up in a Baptist church. We only sang three of the four verses. She sang and played all of them. <laughs> the youth on the front row were laughing at me hysterically every time we came to that chorus and my terrible falsetto. It's one of the most humiliating experiences of my life. 
But I learned something very valuable that day. You see, I had big dreams and high hopes that God would entrust more to me, but I was not being faithful with the little things he had given me. I was not being faithful to the calling I had received. I was not living as someone who was faithful in the little things. So why could he, how should he give me more? See, when we say yes to Jesus, something remarkable happens. He rescues us. He washes us clean, but he also makes us new. The same spirit that rose Jesus from the dead comes to live with inside of us. And we are empowered. We are given spiritual gifts. And when we serve God faithfully, when we fear God, when we rely on God, when we trust God, when we're willing to take that step a little bit deeper, then we experience the fruit of the Spirit. But the fruit of the Spirit is this, love and joy, peace, forbearance, kindness, goodness, faithfulness, gentleness and self-control. This is what our life will be when we trust him and he turns us into people who are trustworthy. See, we gotta be faithful in the little things and then depend on him to help us be faithful. So I wanna invite us to do something a little different. For some of you, this is completely how you connect with God. But for the rest of you, I want you to try something different. No matter where you are in your spiritual journey, I want us to sing this song. You heard them sing it earlier. But I want you to sing this as a prayer, your prayer, a desire from your heart to take that next step a little bit deeper. So would you stand with us and just take advantage of this moment. Connect your heart to God as we sing together.